I'm just a little emotional this morning. I'm kind of overwhelmed by God's work in people over so many years. Maybe it's having Katie with us today and that's kind of a flash from the past and maybe I'm seeing some faces here that I've just walked a lot of years with, but um, that's an awesome thing, by the way. It's just to know people over a long period of time and watch God work in them. It's, it's, it's a testimony to the real power of our Lord and I, I praise him for that today. I'm really excited about the message I'm going to share with you today, too. I think it's bedrock. I think it's really, really, really important for our church today, and so I'm excited for that. I want to remind you that we're in a series I, that I'm calling We Are Disciples, and um, we care about making disciples. That's our bedrock. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to learn to do better. And last week, if you were here, you remember that I mentioned to everybody that we have uh, three things that have to happen inside of us before we can even begin the journey. We have to hear Jesus very well, his call upon our lives and his words. We have to be obedient. We have to obey what he says. And we have to go do the things that he says. And then we have to mature. And that means that we not only care about our own lives, but we care about replicating the life of Jesus inside those around us. And so that's three things that are bedrock to the bottom line of what we want to be about. In order to tell you more about our journey as disciples today, I need to take you back to 2018. And in 2018 is when we made our earnest efforts to say we want to be about making maturing disciples of Jesus. That was the time we changed the mission of the church. We, uh, at that time, asked, well, how would we know if we're successful? How do we know when we're making maturing disciples? And, uh, you know, we did our homework, we prayed, and we opened the scriptures, and we said, you know what? We can identify nine traits of a maturing disciple, and I have those nine traits on the board for you here today. Uh, nine traits that would describe when somebody is maturing in Jesus. Yeah. Oh, fifth. Making your way. I'm cutting in and out a little bit too. I'm okay there. You know what? Let me grab a handheld just in case. All right, so we did our homework, and we said, you know what, we will uh, open the scriptures, and these nine traits is what came up, and uh, you know, again, you look at those, and there are some very valuable things there. For instance, repentance is on that list, and we all have to have a level of repentance before we come to know Christ. We have to acknowledge that there's been some things in our lives that have gone wrong, sinful things. We also have to have repentance that stretches its way through our lives, and we have to say, oh, wow, today was a day where I messed up again, and I need to have a fresh uh, forgiveness from the Lord and feeling from the Holy Spirit. And so, again, we make our way through that. Now, again, there's all kinds of things on that list, and what I want you to know is I think they're an excellent snapshot of what it means to be a maturing disciple, but I will say this. There were some things that we ran into that were some challenges. One of the challenges that we had was people told us, hey, I looked at that list, but where do I begin? 
And it's like, well, you know, you kind of begin at number one. We all agree with that. Salvation's number one. We all need to know the Lord before we kind of make our progression. But beyond that, it's like, do I, do I go with devotion first or allegiance first? And so there's a little bit of confusion about that. The other thing that happened was there was a, a, a lack of maybe urgency or strategy around how you make your way through all of those nine. And I'm, again, not down on those nine. I think they're very good. But we said, you know what, I think there's another gear that we need here. There's something more that we need. And so the last two years have really taught us that, that there's been some growth for the groups that have been trying to practice this, but there's also been some, some, some ways that we need to improve. So we went in the spring and we said, let's pray some more and let's explore some organizations that do this regularly, that, that do discipleship and discipling very regularly. And so we went and we found uh, one group that we specifically liked, and they have a framework for what it means to make maturing disciples. The group is called Like Jesus. It's a Christian organization that makes multiplying disciples of Jesus, just like we do. And I'm going to be sharing with you the model that they use today called four-chair discipling. It was developed in 1979 by Dan Spader. I've got a picture of Dan here on the board for you. And his process, again, is called four-chair discipling, and he's written a book by that same name. So if you're interested in know more, you can certainly get that book, and I have a little bit more information about that later today for you also. Here's where we need to start. Jesus was the expert disciple maker. Jesus spent a mere three years with 12 men, and he changed the world. In fact, there's more than a billion Christians in the world today, and we all owe a debt of gratitude to those 12 men who were faithful in transferring the message and the love of Jesus to others. And so again, Jesus is great at what he does None of us will improve on the way that he disciples people. We could only hope to emulate that. And you might imagine that, again, Jesus didn't just deliver the whole ton of bricks into the, the, the backyard of the disciples immediately. He was gradual in the way that he went about that. He gave them exactly what they needed for that moment. So, for instance, Jesus didn't give the Great Commission to his disciples the day he met them. He didn't say, go and make disciples of all nations on day one. He was gradual in the way that he went about that, and he gave them exactly what they needed for that moment. Well, four-chair discipling is, is that way. It acknowledges that there is a process in which Jesus is inviting his disciples into a deeper relationship step by step. And it starts off again with chair one, moves its way through chair four, and that's why you see four chairs on the stage today. And all of the calls of Jesus, by the way, there are four of them that we're going to explore today, four calls that Jesus gives to his disciples. All of them are uh, aspirational, so there's something that we aspire to when we hear that. And all of them are also invitational. So they're saying, hey, won't you come forward? Won't you make progress for, uh, in steps forward with me? Each of the chairs today, again, represents four calls of Jesus, and I'm going to take the opportunity to explain each chair, each call of Jesus, and maybe how that impacts your life. Let's start off with chair one. Chair one is uh, called the come and see chair, and it's described in John chapter one, verse 39. I'm reading from, uh, actually, verse 35 is where I'm going to pick up. I think the scripture is going to be on the screen for you, and it says this. John writes it this way. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And by, by the way, context here is John the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them uh, following and said to them, What is it you're seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Well, come and see. 
So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So let's follow along here. There's two disciples of John the Baptist. They see Jesus, and John the Baptist says, hey, that's the guy we've been looking for. That's the Messiah. And so they say, well, we want to know more about that. And so they say, Jesus, where are you staying? And he says, won't you come and see? And so he invites them to something very simple, which is come and see. Just learn more about me. And they did because they were curious in their day and age to know, is this the the Messiah? Is this the Savior we've all been anticipating? And they go to check that out. That's the simple calling of chair one, is to come and see. It's a person who's exploring their faith and understanding of things like salvation and truth. They're understanding the simple message of Jesus, which is their salvation by grace through faith. There's likely a great confusion at chair one because they're normally a person in chair one has to go through this spot of saying, well, I think the Christian message is I have to be good enough. And it's like, no, that's not the message of Christianity at all. That's not the message Jesus gave to people. His message to people was you can't be good enough. And so won't you accept a gift of salvation that I'm giving to you that I've I've earned, I possess, and now I'm giving to you free of charge. And that's the message that, again, somebody is beginning to wrestle with in uh, chair one, is that they, you know, again, they don't know much, and they're trying to sort this all out. The key word for a person in chair one is a seeker, and they are seeking to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is inviting them into. The message to come and see is very simple. It's to invite people to hang out and learn more about Jesus. Every time we invite somebody to events at the church, there is this opportunity to come and see. If you're, in fact, inviting people perhaps into other activities where you have uh, maybe a Bible study or maybe you're having uh, a gathering somehow of uh, people from the church, you're inviting some people to come into that, you're inviting them, hey, won't you just come and see? Did you know that that's not the only person that offered come and see in the Scriptures? One other key person that did was the woman at the well. You think about the woman at the well. Here she is. Jesus interacts with her and begins to disclose to her all these things that have happened in her life. And she's like, whoa, I'm just kind of blown away here. She is so excited about Jesus that on day one, the very first day she meets him, she goes back into the village and she says, come and see this man who's told me everything I've ever done. And she says, could he be the Messiah? And so, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people flood and want to come and to know Jesus. Here's what you need to know about chair one. Chair one has a critical need, and it is a need for new life. It's a need for a new life to be deposited on the inside of you. Anybody who is in chair one starts off with being lost, the Bible says. The Bible says that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us are filled up, as it were, with our own desires, our own passions, and we need to be resurrected into a brand new life We need to have spiritual life breathed into us so that we're new. And there's a chain reaction that happens at the point at which somebody says, yes, I want Jesus and I want him to be my Messiah, my Savior. And a chain reaction of transformation begins on the inside of a person at that moment. And so for a person to explore and come to the spot of saying yes to Jesus, that is a a critical part of chair one, uh, the, the chair one discipling. Jesus says it well in John 3, 36. This is what he says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God remains on him. So chair one is ready to step into chair two at the point at which they say, I have explored about Jesus' life. I believe him and I wish to follow him. Let me tell you a story. There was a man uh, when we were ministering back in Colorado years ago named Warren, and he came to church with his wife. Warren and I struck up a relationship pretty quickly because he liked fly fishing. He also had some land in Wyoming I found out about. It's like, whoa, hey, Warren, I think you and I have a lot in common here. Let's go. So uh, Warren would I would fish together occasionally, but I discovered over time that Warren really didn't know much about the Lord, even though he had come to church with his wife and all the rest. And so I said, Warren, won't you come to Promise Keepers with me? And many of you remember Promise Keepers was a men's movement back in the late 90s that was happening, and Warren came to Promise Keepers. On the way home, I remember in the car, I said to Warren, what did you think about today? And he said this, you know, Brian, I'm not sure I know enough to make a really good decision. And I said, Warren, that's fair. I said, what would happen if we got together over coffee for a number of weeks, we'll open the scriptures together, and you could ask any question and explore whatever you want. He goes, that would be great. And so we did. And I will never forget the day when Warren and I were on a river, the Little Laramie River in Wyoming. We were getting ready to fish that day. And he said, I want you to know, Brian, I made that decision this week. I'm following Jesus with my life. And through tears in my eyes, I prayed for Warren, and we had just this wonderful time on the river that day. Warren was a man who was open to come and see. Now, I wish I could tell you that everybody was open to come and see. I wish I could tell you that's just an automatic. But you know what? Everybody is not open to come and see. Some people are open for a moment of time, but then they get busy with life and they get busy with other things. And, you know, even Jesus had that happen with them. Jesus preached to all kinds of people, maybe once or twice, but then they were like, eh, that's enough. I don't need any more. And so we can't gauge whether or not we're going to continue to pour into chair one people by necessarily their response because sometimes it's a very overwhelmingly good response and sometimes, well, it's a lukewarm response. But I want you to notice something, and I'm going to come over here to make this point. The cross is between chair one and chair two because if you are going to move out of a come and see spot, there's only one way to do it. It's through the cross. It's through Jesus. And you must come to know him as Savior if you're going to progress into other chairs. And so again, that's the first chair where everybody's going to start. There's nobody that starts further along in the trail than in chair one. And there's a simple message. Won't you just come and see? Won't you just come and explore? Let's go to chair number two. Chair number two has the calling of Jesus, which is follow me. Follow me. It's found in John 1.43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And we just learned about Andrew and Peter. And Andrew and Peter are brothers, and, and Jesus said to Andrew, come and see. And now, again, these three are guys that are probably hanging out together, and Jesus makes a further invitation to not just come and see anymore, but now won't you follow me? And that's his invitation to all disciples, as where they start is, won't you follow me? And it's the mark of a true believer, is somebody who is a follower of Jesus. John 10, 27 says it this way. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they, here it is, follow me. That's the definition of what it means to be a disciple. Now, if come and see deals with, in chair one, curiosity, 
Chair two is a little further along, and it deals with now a commitment. We spoke again last week about being disciples under a rabbi, and the rabbi is the one who is now going to be the instructor, and the one I patterned my life after. That's exactly what we're saying here is, when Jesus said, follow me, it was now saying to the disciples, won't you come and learn from me? Won't you emulate the way that I am following my life, and let me infuse that into your life also? And so again, at this point, there's a tremendous amount of spiritual growth that's happening in chair number two. In fact, that's what it's about. It's about exploring all kinds of new things that maybe you haven't known up to this point. We can anticipate when somebody moves from chair one to chair two, they don't know much about the Bible. And so again, they are needing instruction in their lives. They probably don't know much about prayer. And so prayer is something that's going to be uh, steadily introduced and is going to build that individual they don't know much about their identity in Christ. They don't know about the Holy Spirit that's coming to lead them into all truth. And he's working inside of their lives. They don't know much about church. Let's face it, this is a strange place. Where else do you do, you do the things like we do here? And so if somebody comes here and they're not, as it were, church broke, you know, then, then they don't, do not understand kind of what's happening here. And they need help to understand some of the dynamics that are happening at church. They need help with something, for instance, like baptism. What is baptism and what is it not? For instance, baptism is not the thing that saves you. What saves you, again, is your faith in Christ, your belief, your trust in Christ. Faith is, is the operative element there, but baptism is identifying you with Christ, and it's an act of obedience. And so we're helping people to make progress through chair two by fully identifying with Christ and obeying Him. Chair two is also the place where people obviously begin to serve in some ways. And maybe systematically, maybe for the first time in their lives, they're, they're doing something on behalf of somebody else. Sometimes that's within the church. Sometimes that's outside the church. But if it's in the church, they're helping in all kinds of ways. They're helping in the nursery. They're helping with check-in. They're helping with cooking. They're helping with the tech team. The signs, all the things that a church needs to operate, and they're learning what it means to serve in an ongoing way. Also at chair two, they're going to learn important things like giving. I can still remember when I gave for the first time on a repeated basis, and I was like, what exactly am I doing here? I mean, this is hard-earned money. And I was like, you know, but, but I'm reading the scriptures, and I'm following Jesus, and he's saying this is something that's a normal part of my life. Now, of course, I can't imagine not doing that. I mean, it would feel so weird for me not to, but I can still remember back to the day where that started with me, and I was in chair two. That's what I was learning in chair two was about all those rhythms and all those things that are about my personal growth. And there's, uh, no, there's no timetable, as it were, to progress from chair two on to chair three. For some people, it will take a long time because there's a lot of things to explore there. Others may more pursue it more rapidly. But again, we're not on a timetable here in which you've got to complete this in a number of months or years. But you just have to say, again, I'm maturing, I'm understanding some of the things that are the dynamics of following Jesus and knowing him and some of those spiritual growth habits that are now being built into my life. All right, let's move on. I want to move to chair three. And chair three has the third calling of Jesus. And the third call, following, calling of Jesus is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm in Matthew 4, verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, 
in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now I'm going to date myself with a kid's song, but the kid's song goes like this. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you... That's it. If you follow me. Yeah. And so again, what Jesus is saying here is, I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you a vision, a calling, a task. If you follow me, I'm going to teach you how to help others along in knowing me. And so Jesus is giving at this point instructions to them. Now again, some of you are smart here. and You know that we started off with this guy, Andrew, and Andrew was the first guy that was come and see, right? And now Andrew is the guy that's, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And many times we get this in our minds that Jesus, you know, just showed up on the beach. They had no knowledge of who he was. And he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they just left their boats. Well, Andrew is the guy that is indi- indicating here that he was the guy that was the come and see guy. He was the guy that weeks back or years back, Uh, that he was with Jesus, and he just went to explore and find out who he was. So this is a deeper calling. It's a calling that is is deeper into following Jesus and his work and his way. And the worker in this instance, or excuse me, the person in this instance is known as a worker, and uh, they're being equipped for ministry, and they're specifically being equipped in the uh, telling of the message of Jesus to others. I've got a painting here that depicts Jesus and what he did with his disciples. And Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to go to the villages and to tell them about the kingdom of God and to heal their diseases. Those were the two things that they were challenged to do. And James Tussaud here, I love his artist. He's a very big biblical artist. And here he is with his disciples, commissioning them, praying over them, and then sending them out two by two through all of the parts of Israel. Now, here's what I want you to know. There's no way that Jesus could have done that with his disciples at chair one. Why? Because at chair one, they didn't even know him as Messiah. There's no way he could have done that at chair two. Why? Because they were still getting grounded. They were still getting grounded in who they were and who Jesus was. So now, somehow they've progressed through stage two, or chair two, and they're ready to go to chair three where they're beginning to open up their mouths and talk to other people about Jesus. Here is what I want to tell you is that there is uh, nothing that I pray more for individuals here than for them to have boldness and courage. Why? Because it's difficult to open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. Uh, In fact, Jesus even says as he commissions them, you're going to go to certain villages and they're just not even going to give you the time of the day. And so again, for those villages, knock the dust off your feet and move on. And, you know, again, you're not going to take this personally because this is the message about Jesus. It's not the message about you. But you're still going to need that boldness and that courage. Uh, There is an issue here in which there is all kinds of uh, uh, caustic philosophy that people have sucked in today. Uh, Once upon a time, we lived in a day and age in which everybody kind of knew the Bible. And, you know, all you needed to really do was just kind of open the Scriptures and say, and they go, oh, yeah, okay, that. And they were ready to follow Jesus. Today we live in a society in which it's mostly biblically illiterate. They do not know the stories of the Bible almost at all. And you have to start back at square one so many times. 
And they've also drunk in all kinds of caustic philosophy. For instance, young people today, this is one of the prevalent uh, philosophies that would be uh, in their minds today. It goes like this. No one has the right to tell others what to believe, so you should not try to convert anybody. And of course, that statement is self-contradictory because that statement is telling you what to believe. So they are they're refuting themselves in even saying that, but yet they want to tell you that, that you have no right to help anybody else in any way to come to a spot of where they, to what to believe. And again, we have that kind of thing that's operating in our society today, and it's got all kinds of cultural weight. It's got all kinds of, of, of momentum behind it, and so it's very difficult for us to work around that. And those are some of the challenges that we face today. And yet Jesus still says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's still my plan. My plan hasn't changed at all. You're still the vehicle of how I want to get that done. And so, again, what we need to do in chair three, if you're in chair three, what you need to do is to have non-Christian friends. You need to have friends in which you are learning to love them. You're hanging out with them. You are genuinely pouring yourself into their lives. And as the opportunity comes up, you're having some spiritual conversations with those individuals. If you don't have any non-Christian friends in your life, pay attention. God wants that for you. God wants you to care for some people that don't know Jesus yet. Can I tell you somebody that I think is doing a masterful job at that? He's not here today because he's celebrating a a, a big anniversary. The person you're going to recognize is Dave Schlack. Many of you know Dave Schlack because he is uh, with Chris in the men's ministry. And Dave did something fantastic last week at the men's breakfast. Here's what Dave did that was so simple and so compelling. Is Dave said, I want to tell you today about four boys on the high school football team. Dave is an assistant coach. I won't use any names, but here's what Dave said. There's one boy on the team who has not seen his dad for three months because his dad is in the hospital with COVID. The only person that can go in is his mom. The boy is just beside himself, obviously, with concern over his dad. Another player on the team, his mother is struggling mightily with cancer, and he uh, has parents who divorced, but she's so sick that she's actually moved back home to get the care that she needs. And so he's watching this happen with his mother. So this is another boy that says, my parents are fighting all the time. I'm fearful that they're going to divorce. And another boy that, that uh, said, you know, my parents actually divorced this week. And he was so broken up. He was so torn up with just uh, the, the, the turmoil of that that he, you know, just had to take me out of the game because I'm just not sure I can perform today. Dave has done a great job of listening to people, of drawing close to people, of caring for people. And all those individuals have a story, and all of them desperately need our Savior. I'm wondering if God is tapping your shoulder to say, hey, there are some individuals around you that I want you to know their story. If you're progressing into chair three, that's exactly what's happening in your life right now, is God is giving you more opportunity, and he's giving you more examples of times in in your life where you're going to say yes to engaging more with people. Now, I want to share with you also, there is a challenge at chair three, just real briefly. 
I want to tell you that there is a lie that Satan wants to tell you at chair three. And this is the lie. The lie is you don't know enough. You don't know enough. You might have conversations and you don't know the Bible well enough. You might have conversations and you can't answer tough questions. Can I just say to that hogwash? And I say that because, again, your fallback position is an easy one. You can always say to somebody, wow, that's a great, that's a great thought. Let me explore that and get back with you. And so, again, there's always the ability to move on. But, you, but, but Jesus is not saying move on only at the point at which you have all the answers. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. Have conversations with people. Just explore what's going on with them. And as best you can, reveal how you have walked with Christ. And God does some major things through that. Make a quick inventory again of your life. And if you don't have any non-Christian friends, that needs to change. And you need to earnestly be praying for them and looking for opportunities to talk. Chair three is learning how to walk in the power of the Spirit because you can't force anybody to change. All you can do is be an agent of the Holy Spirit and His work, and so you're available. All right, one more. Chair four. Let me cover this one briefly. Chair four is the one where Jesus says, or the calling where Jesus says, go and bear fruit. I'm in John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. And this passage is uh, from the beautiful section known as the vine and the branches. Denise and I had the opportunity to be at a vineyard this summer. And so I got to be up close and personal with some vineyard or some vines. And I've got a picture here of uh, uh, one of the vines that we were looking at. And I want you to look at that. It's, you know, an older vineyard now. I don't know how many years old, but you can see that gigantic stump that just comes right out of the ground. And that is the vine. That is the thing that persists year after year. The branches are what come off of it every year newly. And those branches that are the, 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 the coming off that main vine, that main stalk, those are what carry all the fruit. Those are what carry the grapes. And in fact, those vines get so overloaded that they have to tie them against a trellis so that they don't break off. So you see that trellis behind that's kind of supporting the whole mechanism there and keeping everything in order. I was just fascinated to look at that. And Jesus is saying something here. At the point at which you walk with me far enough, you're going to bear fruit. In fact, you're going to bear much fruit. And the person at this stage would be called a disciple maker because they're teaching others. They're leading others. A person at stage four cares about individuals at stage one and has some chair one people in their lives. They have some chair two people in their lives that are learning how to follow Jesus and learning what all that means and the dynamics of their own daily walk. They're mentoring individuals in chair three and saying, hey, let's move further here and let's learn how to talk with others about Christ and bring them along. So chair four is the one that's spanning all of the three other chairs. And again, they're the ones that is really mature in the sense that they are helping others. Chair four is about enduring because you're helping individuals who have problems by that time. And so you're learning how to depend upon the power of God in your lives. You're getting direction from God. You're learning about spiritual warfare. Chair four exemplifies somebody who has steadily followed Jesus, likely, over many years. And again, I'm not saying that everybody today is in chair four or, or, or will be there quickly. That's not the point. In fact, I want to give a little caveat here for a moment because I can understand some of you might be saying right now, well, I've been a Christian for a long time and I'm not sure I'm in chair four, so I must be a failure. No, 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 that's not the message here at all. It's okay to be wherever you are at this moment. 
Here's what is the operative idea I want you to hear. You're only failing if you're not progressing. You're only failing if you're not progressing. All of us are in the process of simply moving forward with Jesus one step at a time. And there might be two reasons why people wouldn't do that. One of the reasons would be, well, they think they've arrived. I hope that's not you. I hope you don't feel like you're done growing. You've done it all because you haven't. Or maybe you're so depleted or you're so depressed over your failures that you're like, I don't even know if I want to try anymore. And I hope you won't fall victim to either one of those because neither one of those is true about your life. Today I'm going to let you simmer in the four chairs. We're going to come back next week and talk more about those again and how those are practical in your lives and the steps to take as you find yourself wherever you are. So I'm going to let that simmer for a bit. But I want to tell you there is a hand that I have for you today. I've got some on the stage over here, some on the stage over there, and if you're up in the balcony, they're on the corner right over there. And they're a brief summary of what I've just said today in kind of a graphic format. If you are online and you're watching us there, it's also on our homepage. If you'll scroll down about halfway, there's a chair there, and it is a summary again, a two-page summary of what I've said today in the four chairs with a little more full example. Here's what I want you to hear. We are all in the journey of following Jesus. We're taking one step at a time, and he's inviting us deeper and deeper and deeper into walking with him. And with each step forward, we're becoming more like him as we do that. I am calling you today to continue making your steps forward at the invitation of Jesus with wherever you are, and together we will mature into him. Lord, thank you again for uh, Jesus. Thank you for uh, his life and his example and his invitation to us to heal us and to make us the people that are needed in our world today. We thank you for the message of the gospel, which is a, a message of grace and a message of freedom. And we pray today, Lord, that all of us would be taking that in and living out of that. Thank you for my friends as they wrestle with this today and they think about that. What chair are they in? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be guiding them into all truth. And so we lift this time to you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.